What's going on, traders? Yes, yes, you made it. You made it to the SPACs attack. Yes, we're back. We're back stronger than ever. We're going to be going over OCA, Kin Insurance. Guys, stick around. Matt Higgins is going to be back. The one and only operator that, yes, we've talked to before, but can't wait to get into it now that we have an acquisition. So first things first, let's go ahead and get SPACs attack started. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Good morning, traders. Let's go ahead and get this started. Let's bring on my man, the brains to the show. His name is Chris Ketchy, but some know him as the Chrisopedia. What's going on, brother? How are we doing today? Hey, hey, I don't know what they know you like, but I, I mean, if they haven't heard the Chrisopedia before, they know now. This is the one and only. Let's get to that brain. What's going on, man? I haven't seen you in a little while. I know you had a good weekend. Let's get back to SPACs. I know you're probably getting back to SPACs yourself. So let, let us know what's going on out there. What do we need to pay attention to, Chris? What's on the horizon? And like you always do, bring us back to those headlines. All right, guys. Yeah, not a ton of new news out there. I am still getting caught up from the weekend um, and not having our show yesterday, of course. So let's start with uh, we do have earnings from Nicola. Remember, this was one that we did say was on our DSPAC earnings calendar for August. So Nicola reporting um, that during the second quarter, uh, all nine trucks from the second batch um, have been built and are in the United States. Uh, they've also got three of those trucks commissioned, six currently undergoing commission in Arizona. Um, so again, they're, they're working on assembly of those trucks that they had talked about for a long time. They also announced a joint venture um, with Iveco Industrial Complex in Germany. Uh, that's going to help those BEV uh, you know, vehicles as well. They also acquired 20% equity in, in Wabash Valley Resources, which is a clean hydrogen project being developed in Indiana uh, in exchange for $54 million cash and stock consideration. Um, so they think that, you know, that's going to help them. Nikola is going to acquire the right to offtake up to 20% of the clean hydrogen produced at the facility. So strengthening, um, you know, their supply chain there. Uh, it is notable that on the conference call, though, Nicola did say that they expect to deliver 25 to 50 vehicles uh, in fiscal 2021. That is down from earlier guidance of 50 to 100 vehicles. Um, so not the best report from Nicola. And remember, they do have the overhang of their founder, Trevor Milton, being arrested last week. Shares down 7% today. I uh, do want to highlight Arrival, ARVL. Um, an article out on Electric saying that Arrival Van completed its first autonomous ride without a driver and that road test will follow. Um, so, you know, that that's important news. Arrival developing their own automated driving system, ADS, to provide autonomous capabilities to future owners of its vehicles. Um, again, the Arrival Van, one step closer to autonomous uh, EV rides. So keep an eye out ARVL here. 
And we did see Grab uh, merging with AGC report first quarter uh, earnings uh, over the past couple of days. So net sales of 507 million in the quarter, up 39% and hitting a record. They also had adjusted EBITDA of $111 million. Then an update on TDAC merging with Lottery.com. This is one we talked about last week. Um, They reported quarterly uh, estimates. So preliminary results um, for the second quarter, revenue of 9.1 to 9.6 million on a reported basis or 10.0 to 10.5 million on a pro forma basis, including that recently announced acquisition. Um, This compares to only $0.9 million last year in the second quarter. So huge, huge growth. They're also forecasting strong sequential growth in the second half of 2021. Um, So not just a one-off here from the company. So keep an eye out. TDAC continues to be one of my favorite uh, long-term plays here. And then we also saw RTPZ merger approved. We'll trade as ticker HIPO for HIPPO. Um, I believe beginning today, and, and then some new merger vote date set that we will add to our calendar, and I'll have that article out on Benzinga.com, um, hopefully later today. Uh, new date set, LIVK, August 18th, SNPR, August 25th, GWAC, August 25th, KSMT, August 18th, NGAC, August 18th. MUDS, uh, August 25th, and CENH, August 31st. So August calendar, again, uh, you know, adding lots and lots of votes to the calendar. And then we did get two deals announced after close on Monday. So up first, we have VPCB, a deal with uh, Credivo, uh, $2 billion. So this company is the leading digital consumer credit platform in Southeast Asia, uh, so buy now, pay later platform in Indonesia, which is the largest economy in Southeast Asia. Um, so they talk about, you know, how not as many people have credit cards in Indonesia. Palantir also in on the pipe on this deal as they have been with so many recent deals. Um, so this company uses artificial intelligence enabled real time decision making over 4 million approved customers, and they work with eight of the top e-commerce merchants in Indonesia, which makes them the largest and fastest growing buy now, pay later. They also have plans to expand into Vietnam and Thailand and other areas. Um, So 10% of the middle class in Indonesia owns a credit card. So this is a company, you know, helping people buy large items by using that buy now, pay later. Um, We just saw Square in the U.S. make an acquisition um, of an Australian company in that same sector. So this could be an exciting deal to watch. Again, Indonesia, one of the fastest growing uh, economies out there. This company expected to grow revenue by 120% to 163 million in 2021. And again, 96% growth in fiscal 2022 to $320 million. So keep an eye out on on this deal. Again, that ticker VPCB. And then our other deal announced last night, YSAC uh, announcing a 
deal with Sky Harbor, which is a developer of private aviation infrastructure valued at $777 million. Um, so again, working with private jet owners, they have their first campus near Houston, Texas, and two under construction in Florida and near Nashville Airport in Tennessee. They also have lease agreements in Denver, Colorado, and Phoenix, Arizona. Um, not a ton of details out on this one. They did not file their presentation until this morning. Uh, but again, those deals both announced last night after close. Mitch, that's what I've got for headlines. And again, those two deals announced uh, you know, after market closed yesterday around the four o'clock uh, mark. Yeah, excellent. You know, there's always going to be new deals, so definitely check those out. If you haven't gotten to them, we'll probably get uh, more in depth as we do later on in the week. Now, one thing I do want to point out is that, Chris, Chris, finally, I was waiting for you to come back to point to it at least. But you know how I like to go off a story and try to be early versus later, um, jumping onto the trend there. And Rover, man, the Rove. I had a nice, nice move up. I think that was on Friday. Yeah, I mean, it's it's holding on too. And that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see it hold on and not just quickly get up towards 12 and then quickly right back underneath 10. So this was a, a good move there in Rover. And I, I believe the story, you know, I've been talking about this one, I think for months, Chris, uh, just just expecting the summer's summer bookings really. And, and just even talking to Rover employees, I mean, I think that, you know, they're going to see some some major, major moves in their reservation numbers. So we'll see when the earnings come out. But as you can see, Rover switched on over on the 28th. And from that moment, we've had some good, good pop. Yeah, definitely. And we have Bark earnings, um, I believe, later this week. So that could be a good one to watch. Um, you know, again, pet. Pet ownership levels are up during the pandemic and Rover, one of those companies that could really take advantage of that. Um, you know, it's not just pet sitting and, uh, you know, pet overnight care and pet walking. Mitch, as you said, they also expanding into segments like grooming and pet care. So uh, a good call out there and we'll see how that one does when they do report those earnings. Definitely, definitely, guys. So I, I know that you guys are out there in the chat probably wondering, let's go ahead and knock out that interview. Let's do that. Let's get right into our interview. Up next, we're going to be getting into Kin Insurance. What I want to do is also I'm going to put up in the chat here the investor presentation. So if you guys want to stick around and kind of be on the same page that we are on so you guys can read it a little bit more in depth, definitely go ahead and click on that in the chat. I'll post that as we bring them on here. Let's go ahead and unlock SPACs, Chris, when we do our best. All right, guys, super excited for our next guest. We welcome back to SPACs Attack, Matt Higgins, the chairman and CEO of Omnichannel Acquisition Corp. And we welcome for the first time, Sean Harper, the co-founder and CEO of Kin Insurance, those two companies recently announcing a SPAC merger to take Kin Insurance public, that ticker OCA. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Great. Great to be back. Awesome to have you guys here. I'm going to let Chris jump right into it, and then I'll be back with some of my own like always. <laughs> How you doing, Chris? 
Doing great. Happy to have you back on the show, Matt. So I, I'm going to start with you here, Matt. You know, we we talked last time you were on about, you know, what you were looking for in a partner with OCA. So tell us why the decision to, to nail down a deal here with Kin Insurance. How does that fit into the Omnichannel Acquisition Corp, uh, you know, system? Okay, great. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, anyone out there who thinks insurance is uh, is boring, I want you to ca- carry that. Call that guy uh, Warren Buffett. Talk a little bit about insurance. Ask him how long he's held a Geico stock. But um, first things first, <clears throat> when we set out with Omni, we were focusing on digital, digitally fueled businesses that were in some way uh, going to benefit from this great digital pivot, as my friend Kevin O'Leary calls it. This tremendous compression of e-commerce adoption probably 10 years of e-commerce adoption that's taken place in basically 18 months. And we were looking for a change-resistant business, a cha- uh, looking for a business in a change-resistant industry that is mission-driven with great founders, great management team. As you as you know, I've mentioned before, I teach uh, direct-to-consumer and omni-channel at Harvard Business School, my co-professor, Len Schlesinger. So I know a lot about the topic, and I was looking for that great business. We spent a ton of time looking at a ton of businesses, and we landed on Kent. So why do I love Kin? Homeowners insurance is a huge industry. It's a $100 billion plus TAM. Insurance has been very late to adopt to the changing dynamic because there are a lot of inherent conflicts, which Sean can get into, but channel conflict, uh, the tech that's involved in order to underwrite. And we started working with Kin and what Kin is doing, I believe, is transformative. They've determined how to underwrite homes using thousands of data points. And as a result of being able to do that, they can eliminate the intermediary, the agent, which creates a lot of margin margin uh, leakage, which also disrupts underwriting, which we can get into. So it's a fantastic business, one of the best DTCs that I have come across in my experience. And I don't want to steal Sean's thunder, but uh, I'm really fired up to be here. Perfect. So Sean, I, I turn to you, you know, uh, why the decision to go public via SPAC? And was a traditional IPO also a consideration for your company? Yes, yeah. So the the thing that is really so insurance, Matt Matt did a good job. It's super backwards industry, super huge, uh, Tam. And uh, what really sets Ken apart from some of the other companies is that our unit economics are so good. And when you have unit economics that good, all you should be trying to do is think about how can I do this over and over and over and over again. And so for us, that meant going public because, of course, there's a lot more capital available in the public markets. And that's just a really good way for us to, to blow this thing out now that we've spent, I mean, we spent five years, you know, in the dirt <laughs> trying to get this thing, you know, really optimized. So it was ready to scale. And uh, and and that's sort of that's that's where we are right now, which is really exciting. And then, um, you know, SPAC versus traditional. Honestly, we we were really compelled by Matt and Omni. Uh, so it wasn't so much SPAC versus IPO. It was actually like Omni versus IPO. And we're, what we're always looking for is with investors, you know, how can they help us? Because money is money. There's money everywhere. The world is just like a wash and more money than ever has been. And and we we have some amazing investors at Kin. If you look at our sort of early rounds, some of the best fintech investors. And then as we progressed, we actually added like Hudson Structured Capital Management, for example, like the best insurance investors, you know, people who know that space, they'll tell you that. And what we needed uh, was somebody who could really help us uh, scale Kin a lot faster, really help us develop the brand of Kin, 
and help us bring a little bit of sizzle to the thing. And, uh, you know, Matt and, and Gary and the rest of the crew are amazing at that. I mean, like Matt literally teaches the course of this at Harvard. And, uh, you know, we just thought it would be a really good partnership. That's, that's, it has been so far, to be honest, like we've, we've been working kind of like, this is not <laughs> like, you know, we've been doing the longest, Sean and I are both on vacation with our kids. This might be the longest stretch we've gone without talking. I think it's been about 24 hours. And he had hair when we first started this back. <laughs> so it's it's going pretty good. It's going great. I mean, we're we're going to work. We're just we're both hustlers, and we have really complementary skill sets. And it's it's been really fun so far, honestly, because uh, you know it just brings something to the business that we didn't have before. Awesome. So, Sean, you know, I, I see here Ken Insurance, the only peer play direct to consumer uh, home insurance company. Give us the background, you know, for viewers out there unfamiliar with Ken and maybe unfamiliar with the home insurance industry. Uh, break down what Ken does and why investors sh should be so excited uh, about Ken going public here. Yeah. So, homeowners insurance is a huge industry, it's more than $100 billion in the US. It's actually really it's it's actually growing pretty fast. You know that the the average amount that a customer pays for homeowners insurance has gone up. It's more it's like more than two hundred percent since uh, the year two thousand. It's an absolutely integral part. Like you literally can't buy a home and get a mortgage unless you have homeowners insurance. It's you know it's it's a really important part of people's day to day lives. And if you look at the industry. It's really missed. This is a great slide. It's missed a bunch of really fundamental changes that have happened in the world. One thing that changes consumer preferences have changed. You know, people don't want to walk into a store to buy physical things. Walking into a store to buy a virtual thing, an insurance product, an inherently virtual good, is absurd, especially because it adds a lot to the cost of the product. Because those stores and the people who are in them, they actually cost a lot of money to run. The second change that is missed is and this is one reason why I love financial services. We've been doing this for a long time, not just Kin, but other, other fintech businesses. And we talk about that later. Is it um, inside a bank or insurance company? Those are actually software companies, right? It's, of course they are. They're phys they're, they're, there's no physical product, right? It's all done on the computer. It all can be done on the computer. Yet, if you go into these companies, they're 100 years old on average. Our competitors are 100 years old on average they're really not very good at software. And it creates a lot of problems, it creates a lot of frustrations, it creates a lot of inefficiency. And one uh, way that inefficiency manifests itself is at a time when most financial products are going down in price, homeowners insurance has been going up in price. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right? Customer isn't benefiting from the efficiencies that are possible. And then the last big change, or one of the, one, another big change is actually of all these things that are moving really fast, unfortunately the weather is changing really fast. And global warming is a real thing. And global warming uh, actually causes more extreme weather. And that's all over the country. It's not just in Florida. It's not just in California, two, two of our biggest states. It's everywhere. And legacy insurance companies have a really hard time adapting to that because they're so, they're so slow moving. And so it's tough for them. You know, if there's a new hazard or a new way to price something or, you know, it's, it's just really hard for them to adapt. And so that's, you know, that's sort of the world that we're entering. And Kin has a bunch of advantages there. First of all, we're built from scratch for the world as it is right now, right? It's modern tech. It's not a it's not a hundred years old tech. It's built by guys who we've been doing this financial services stuff before. My last business was a payments company, and I sold that. It was a good exit, and uh, 
you know, so we, we kind of know how this is done, right? We played this game before when you saw payments and lending sort of went online and tech forward. Insurance is happening right now. And it's also direct to the consumer, which is a big, big benefit because those agents are so expensive and they also slow you down and they actually distort the underwriting. I'll give you an example. So um, when you sign up to get homeowner's insurance, the agent will usually ask you like, hey, how old is your roof? Or they might even tell you like, oh, your roof looks like it's probably nine years old. Well, they don't know if <laughs> you've ever been to see your house. They're just sitting in their office. And the reason why they chose nine is they know that a lot of the carriers that they represent won't write it if it's 10 or they'll charge more if it's 10. And so that, that doesn't make any sense, right? It's like if you applied for a credit card and Capital One was like, well, do you usually pay your bills on time? Like, what are you going to say? Of course, you'd be like, yeah, of course I pay my bills on time. And so, so that's what we're doing. And it creates a lot of efficiency for the customer. The customers love it. Our net promoter score is in the mid 80s. This is in an industry where 40 is the norm. Our customers stick with us for a long time. We keep 92% of our customers from one year to the next. And our customers save a lot of money. Our customers save about 500 bucks on average per year. Awesome. So Sean, I'm going to stick with you on this one. And then I want Matt's thoughts on this uh, topic as well. So part of the SPAC deal, um, you know, Ken also announced plans to acquire an inactive insurance carrier that has licenses in 40 states. Can you get into, you know, the, the plan to do national expansion by 2025 and how Ken can kind of grow, you know, on a state by state basis? And then we'll get to Matt on that same topic. Absolutely. So this is, this is, we're really excited by this. So <clears throat> Kin has been pretty disciplined and we will continue to be disciplined. Uh, you know, there's 50 states, the way insurance works, the, the sort of laws in those states and the regulations and even, even sort of the hazards and the weather in each state is pretty different. So you really don't want to blast your way into all 50, you know, especially because some of these states are big. You know, if you look at sort of the three states we're in right now, it's just California, Louisiana, and Florida. That's actually 20% of the market. It's a $20 billion market, just those states. But we're doing really well in those states. And we want to expand into some other ones. So we'll be focused on states that are similar. There are large coastal states where a lot of people live, where insurance is more expensive than it is in the rest of the country, and where our big data underwriting advantage is more useful to us. Because in those higher volatility places, like Louisiana, for example, our ability to really understand the physical properties of the home, it's worth a lot more than it is in a place like Wisconsin, for example, where I grew up because the weather just isn't as volatile there. It doesn't matter as much uh, if you really understand the physical properties of the home. So we'll be expanding into a bunch of those states. So today we've been limited, first of all, because we want to be disciplined, but also because we didn't have the licenses and the, the way insurance, this gets a little bit arcane, but the way insurance licensing works you have to sort of ask permission of each state to go into it and it can take some time. And the, the hack, the way around it is you basically buy an insurance company that already has those licenses. And so we, now it could be hard to find those, right? Because usually if an insurance company shut down, well, there was a problem, like something went wrong <laughs> and you don't want to inherit all the mess that was there. And so it's really hard to find a dormant insurance company that also doesn't have any baggage or sort of inherent risks in it. And that's what we found. We found a really perfect shell, they call them. And it's licensed in 40 states. You'll see us, you know, really over the next year, actually more than doubling our own addressable market, you know, from 20% to, to uh, 
you know, a lot more than that. It's more than half. And uh, it's, it's really exciting. Matt, was that part of the, you know, the plan here and the reason to, to take Kin Insurance public? Do you see the national expansion, you know, being a, a big catalyst here? Oh, you're muted, Matt. I think you're muted. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Not to get all professory on you, but to put on my, my HBS hat. One of the one of the things you see oftentimes with direct to consumer businesses is there can be a novelty factor, right? You have a you have a, an industry dominated by large players, and you have an upstart with a great idea. It's sometimes mission driven brand, and they launch DTC, go right to the consumer. You know they rapidly scale up with, and then CAC begins to rise as they burn through those early adopters. And then they need distribution. So in the case of like a food product, for example, you know, you go DTC, but now you find yourselves needing to be on the, you know, the shelves of Whole Foods in order to scale. What's interesting about Kin and insurance generally, but Kin specifically, is this business was born to be direct to consumer. If this could have been sold DTC 30 years ago, it would have been sold that way. Like if you think about insurance as a virtual product, it'd be the equivalent of Gary V selling V friends at like a strip mall in New Jersey. Like it just makes no sense. It will one day look like in retrospect, it made no sense to sell an insurance pro uh, product through storefronts. So what that what does that mean? That means that it's a lot easier to scale nationally because you don't have that infrastructure in recruiting agents and storefronts and whatnot. You do have a ton of regulatory work. And I tend to gravitate towards businesses where there is a degree of complexity because complexity becomes its own moat, right, over time. It's really hard to start an insurance company. You know, there'll be competitors, obviously, to Kin. There are already. Eventually, the incumbents will pivot. But it's not like you can wake up tomorrow and start selling sneakers on Amazon if you want to create your own insurance company. There's a ton of work that you have to do or you're going to get really hurt. It's going to get hurt in your loss ratio. is going to get hurt on the regulatory side. So Kin, by being a DTC business, can scale nationally. Uh, and has an advantage in being nimble. And it's one of the things that Sean and I worked with over the last several months is figuring out what's the right fit, how to make sure that we don't compromise the discipline that Sean and his team have brought to the business. It's one of the other things I love about it. A lot of people, when we announced a deal, said, Ken, I haven't heard of Ken. I heard of Lemonade. And you know, my view is that's where the opportunity is. They've developed a tremendous performance marketing and customer acquisition machine. Somebody in the comments, the comments are great, by the way, so keep them coming. Somebody in the comments asked relatively what's the LTV value. The CAC to LTV value is basically 7.9. And in my experience in investing, teaching at HBS, you know, below two, you have a real problem. You know, two and above is fine. Three above is generally great because you want to make sure that the juice is worth the squeeze. What you're paying to acquire your customers pays off over time in revenue. And Sean has a great CAC to LTV model. Where they haven't invested is that overall brand awareness. And that's where the Omni team comes in. Not just Gary Vaynerchuk, but Christina Tosi, Bobby Brown, the work I do. Uh, Florida is obviously a huge market for Ken, a huge insurance market, You know, upwards of 10 to $14 billion TAM in and of itself. I'm partners with Steve Ross. We uh, work with the Miami Dolphins. I'm vice chairman of the team. So there's a lot we can do in Florida, but a lot we can do and will be doing to elevate the brand of Kin as we scale nationally. Yeah, let me just riff on that for a second. So one of the things that's most exciting about homeowners insurance is this direct to consumer shift hasn't happened yet. So it has happened to some extent in auto, right? So auto is about 25% sold directly. It's basically Geico and Progressive. Uh, they're, they're direct businesses. Geico and Progressive don't really do home. Uh, Progressive recently got into it. They bought a company called ASI. It's actually a really good company. It's where most of our insurance team came from when they sort of got sick of working at the big, you know, giant company that bought them. 
Um, but at 93, it's, it's happened in renters, right? We talked about Lemonade a little bit. <clears throat> you know, renters is, is sold more directly. Lemonade has done a really good job of that. But homeowners insurance is more than 90% sold through these retail agents. Well, somebody in the comment was asking and what makes Kim different than Hippo. One of the biggest differences between us and Hippo is that Hippo is mainly sold through those, through those agents. And so they inherited a lot of the problems that those agents have. Um, but we're both going after homeowners insurance. Homeowners insurance is a big opportunity for both of us. The other thing that's really different about us versus Hippo is our unit economics are much better. So there's a slide in the deck where we sort of lay out, lay out Ken's unit economics versus some of the other insure techs, you know, Lemonade, which is in renters, Hippo, which is also in home, and Metro Mile and Brew, which are doing auto, which is pretty different. Um, but you'll see actually our unit economics are by far the best. And, you know, to some extent, I would say, you know, the details are really important here. And the proof is in the pudding around whose model is working better versus the other. But uh, it's a huge market. There's room for lots and lots of new companies in insurance. Perfect. And Sean, to follow up on that, you also have a slide uh, talking about how speed is the winning formula in insurance. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned some of the benefits, but can you get into some of the economics of speed and how Kin can get these quotes out faster to potential customers and why that's so important in gaining customers and possibly keeping them in the ecosystem? A hundred percent. So speed is important in two ways. First of all, it's important in your customer interactions. So the old days of you know filling out paperwork and taking days maybe to get a quote or get your home insured, it's just not there, right? People are buying homes on their phones. So to not be able to go around and be like, oh, I like that home, let's see how much insurance would cost for it. Let me get a quote. That's like playing stakes right now, you know, in every other industry. It's new in insurance, but people are used to the sort of instant gratification. It's part, it's a big part of our value proposition. If you look in our online reviews, which are really good, you'll see people are saying, oh, I love Kin because it was so fast. I was able to get insurance, you know, at the last minute before I was closing on my home. So it's a big part of it. Similarly with claims, the number one reason why people are unhappy with their insurance company is the claim is taking too long or they're not sure where the claim stands or they weren't happy with the way the claim was settled. And so with Kin, we've actually digitized the whole claims process and it gives us a huge advantage. Um, so, so that's one way it's like, what does the customer see? They see, you know, it's fast and responsive. The other thing is what happens when something out there changes? There's a new type of fraud. Yep. There were more wildfires than we ever saw before. There's a new data source available for pricing and underwriting and our ability to incorporate that. So I'll give you an example. There was a company in um, in uh, Florida, which is which is one of our biggest states, and they were doing a lot of manufactured home insurance for these sort of prefabbed homes, and they went out of business. Typically, it would take a new insurance an insurance company a year to launch a new product from soup to nuts, and we were able to do it in a couple of weeks. We said, okay, cool. There's an opportunity in manufactured homes. It's not something we're doing right now. Let's start writing code. <laughs> Let's go. And our system was able to do it, you know, really from, from idea to writing our first policy in a couple of weeks, which is really unheard of in insurance. So there's lots of examples of that. It's really like the reaction time and our ability to change, to, to respond to an ever faster changing world that, that gives us a huge advantage over our 100 year plus old competitors. Awesome. And Sean, you know, uh, Matt started to get into it a little bit, uh, talking about brand awareness for Kin, right? So in the investor presentation, it talks about 
direct mail, social media, and just an overall brand awareness campaign. Um, I believe you had some uh, professional athletes that were investors in Kin to start with, uh, Draymond Green, Rory McIlroy. What's the uh, the brand awareness campaign? Will we maybe see some, some commercials and some utilization of some of those investors? I, I'm not sure if you can give us any of the details there, but we'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Begin has been pretty quiet. You know, we're one of one of the things that insurance doesn't do very well is they have all these goofy ads and they don't have a differentiated value proposition. Right. They're all sort of shouting at you. They pay attention to me. I've got a lizard, Uh, but they don't have anything different to say about them. And it's also very untargeted marketing. Right. They're the only two ways they're getting customers is by doing brand advertising and by opening branches, both of which are very unfocused. So what Ken is already really good at is we use all of this big data that we have to specifically target the customers that we think are one, a good match for our underwriting criteria, two, gonna have a good loss ratio, three, are likely to convert, you know, and four, gonna be sort of like good customers for us. And that's that's really what we've done. So we've been really quiet, right? Like if you're not in our target market and you weren't looking for insurance, you probably haven't heard of us. Having said that, we have noticed that in the markets where, where people know us more, of course, all that direct response stuff works a lot better. And that's where you see us, you will see us be a lot more active on the brand side. Part of that is getting famous people involved. Um, they're not just famous people. Those are both like really great business people. Uh, you know, really understand what Kid is doing and have added a lot, especially on sort of like the marketing side, like Draymond has a really good mind for marketing. And, um, you know, it's just sort of the beginning of a much greater investment in, in brand stuff. Uh, not to be specific, but we'll have some cool stuff coming out soon that I think everyone will really, really enjoy. Yeah, I, and I, I, Go ahead, Matt. Things, Go ahead. And I think one of the things we don't want to stray from, because that's part of the advantage, when, just to spend a minute on the legacy insurers, right? They are basically spending money, all their money on top of the funnel marketing brand awareness, and then it's up for the agent to convert. So that's asking a lot, right? Like you're running those ads in, in left field of a baseball stadium and you're hoping that those impressions seek it and then it's up for the agent to convert. That's pretty a lot to ask of somebody who may not be an expert in digital conversion. What's great about Ken, since it's pure play DTC, you wanna ensure that that sort of overall brand awareness still stays very close and tied to conversion, right? So that you stay disciplined at it. So a lot of what you're gonna see is that overall brand awareness, but with you know laser focused on making sure it translates ultimately to customers. But yep, you we didn't do all this work together and put together this team of twenty advisors, including ten founders and Draymond and McCrory to stay quiet for very long. So we have a lot of good stuff coming up. That, that's perfect, Matt. I'm I'm sure you can't get into details. Um, you know, you mentioned you, you do have a relationship with the Dolphins. Maybe we can see some deals down the road. And, you know, here's hoping maybe you and Gary Vee can be in a TV commercial, you know, promoting Ken uh, down the road. So hopefully we'll see that as well. Um, I've got a couple more questions before I turn it back over to Mitch. I, I want to talk a little bit about growth. So in the presentation, you know, past that national expansion, we also get hints of auto insurance, life insurance, umbrella insurance, and, and some non-insurance products. Sean, can you just share a little bit of maybe the, the timeline of this and how Kin is looking at growing through other segments? Absolutely. So <clears throat> you'll see these companies, uh, insurance companies talking about bundling. You might see that, like, give us your home policy and we'll give you a discount on this other policy. The reason why they do that 
is that home customers, people who live in homes and own homes, are the best insurance customers. Right? They have, you know, they're more stable. They don't churn as much, and they tend to buy a lot of other stuff and have more money. Right? Like homeowners actually have a lot more wealth than people who don't live in homes. And so we think that that's going to give us a huge edge when you think about us, you know, going into auto insurance, life insurance, and these are things that we will not be doing this year. Uh, but but you know we, we we're really excited about doing sometime after this year. Also think about other things around the home. Uh, you know you might see Ken get into things like mortgages or smart home products or actually helping you pro. And we do a lot of this right now. Actually, I'll tell you something. So <clears throat> when we um, when you sign up for Ken, you actually walk around your home. You take photos of parts of your home. And one thing that we're able to do is actually take those photos in and analyze them in an automated way and make recommendations about stuff that you can do inside your home and help you actually hook up with, with somebody who can, who can fix things. And that's really good for the customer because it helps them save money on their insurance. It helps them have a safer home. And you'll see us doing a lot more of this and getting, getting much deeper into being an everyday part of people's lives. And I think one of the things people don't realize a lot of the times about homeowners insurance is that because it's so sticky, it's a really amazing wedge product into all these other things around the home, right? It's like you might use Zillow to sell your home or to buy your home, but it's one and done. You're not using Zillow over and over and over while you live in your home, but you are using your home insurance over and over and over while you live in your home. And we think that's going to give us a really good many opportunities to sell these other things to the customers. Awesome. I like that example, you know, the the one and done. Um, Matt, any comments on the expansion, you know, moving beyond home insurance? Was that part of, you know, the thesis here in getting behind Ken, you know, multiple avenues of growth with the national expansion and the the new sectors? Um, it is. It's, it's, it's a, as Sean said, it's a great product to make sure that you play an ever-increasing role in people's lives. We One of the things we worked on together over the last couple of months is really bringing out the brand identity of Ken and making sure that brand identity was large enough that could accommodate beyond just insurance. And where we landed, which we're really excited about, is Ken has figured out how to navigate all these crazy circumstances that we're reading about every day in the headlines. I mean, just one day after our next, you know, climate change and just things that we never thought were conceivable 10 years ago. But that's our new reality or our new normal. So Ken is built for every new normal. So part of the excitement, of course, is the ability to expand out. However, in working with Ken and working on the model, we made sure to stay just close to the core product so that we didn't bake uh, any of that into the projections and allow Ken, give Ken time to go ahead and expand uh, according to their current plan and then figure out when it's right to introduce those new products. So the bottom line is what you see in the projections when you read the investor presentation is only you know the core products. Matt, that's perfect. That was literally going to be my last question. Was going to be okay. I we have getting the questions from down here, so I figured, <laughs> what's he going to ask me? Next? But you didn't get the crew cut Chuck's question, and I love the name. We'll, so we'll like do some. Yep, we'll do some questions at the end. But yeah, I mean, you remember how much fun this chat is, right? You get questions yes. flowing the whole time. I know Gary loved it when he was on. So, so Matt, I just want to reiterate kind of what you said. You know, we have the financial projections in the presentation. So that is not based on any of those other sectors and it's based just on strictly the the national rollout kind of state by state, is that correct? And Sean yep. as well? That's correct. That's exactly right. It does not take into account any new products. And I would say it's important to note that actually we don't need a lot of other states to do that. Now we're gonna be doing a bunch of other states, but if you look at sort of what we're trying to do 
you know, th- this year we'll do about 100 million of premium, 98. Next year we'll do 234. Very easy to do that, right? Our current three states that we're in are $20 billion markets. So it's still a tiny market share just in those states. So there's definitely expansion within our existing current markets as well as adding these new markets. All right, perfect. And I am going to turn it over to Mitch. He's got some great questions to follow up as well. How we doing, guys? All right, let's go ahead and let's jump into retention rate, right? I mean, I think this is probably one of the most focused, definitely, stats in insurance. How are you guys able to keep these happy and loyal customers, Sean? So one one big part of this is homeowners are sticky to begin with. So if you look at what's normal in homeowners, even for a legacy company, even for a company that sells through brokers, it'll it'll be in the mid mid eighties, you know, if if they're good. Um, so that that is a good starting point. And then layer on top of that, that Kim doesn't have this agent, and those agents, their job is literally to reshop the customer every year, right? And that's what they get paid their seventeen percent basically for. And because we don't have that, you know, obviously we we get to keep our customers longer. Also, some of that agent economics are going back to the customer, which helps them save money. So it's a really good deal for them. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, we're just we're just good. You know, our customers are very happy with it. You can go online and read our customer reviews. We take it really seriously. Like we do not want unhappy customers, and and it's beginning. You know, it's it's paying off. It's uh, you know, that's that's how we want it. That's that's how we built the business. It's always been a, a kind of a move and shift into convenience, um, whether we're talking anything digital. Um, I'm going to go ahead and shoot this question more to Matt. Matt, what are you seeing in the trends coming out of the pandemic, going into more of a digital transformation and really accelerating this to the to kind of the next level, really? Um, do, do you see, is this really a, a big reason why you looked at an insurance company? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just globally speaking, I see a complete shift to frictionless first. You know, I talked about this during the pandemic, that the pandemic opened an aperture to a different universe where things can be done differently. I mean, it's not like Zoom was invented in February of 2020, right? But here we are. uh, So many of the meetings in my life at least remain on Zoom, even though they could easily be done in person. So there's been an entire shift in society towards gravitating to where, how do I reduce friction in my life? my personal life, my professional life, the acquisition of services. So any industry that has been resistant to change is about to get run over. I mean, you're seeing it in fintech, right? Where it just, it's like left and right every other day, but that's not, that's just one area. Insurance is going to be another area. One big, Mitch, you and I've talked about this, but why I have such a bias towards operator-led SPACs. If you throw up that that slide again, where we talk about cactel TV ratio and Kins, you know, you know unit economics, like want to make sure you're backing a, a, a team that can go into those numbers and understand what's involved. And because I'm investing in DTCs and I'm talking about it at HBS, I have a pretty good sense of the landscape. So to make sure what are the different acquisition channels that are working today, what's working today might not be what's working tomorrow. Right. And part of the marriage between Omni and Ken and Sean is making sure we're constantly refreshing the tactics, figuring out what's working, what's not, maybe shorten the learning curve of experimentation. So just big picture, everyone out there who's looking at SPACs, looking to get behind any SPAC. One, I always say this, do your work, read the S1, look at the bios, figure out if people have subject matter expertise so they could properly diligence a deal, and two, determine whether or not they have something to bring to the table and stay with it. So part of my partnership with Sean is day and night, happened long before the agreement was actually signed, is how do we constantly make sure that, you know, Ken has a competitive advantage and we refresh those, those marketing tactics. So long way of answering 
I see a lot across my businesses. Some of the businesses, maybe in the CPG DTC space, are actually under a lot of pressure because their CAC has gone up, right? And some businesses are showing sort of no impact. It's kind of interesting. So it's sort of obvious if you were sitting at home ordering food the whole time during the pandemic, but now you're out and about, maybe, 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 uh, maybe those numbers are going down. But in the case of core services, I'm not seeing a lot of pressure under uh, with CAC. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things like you always said, react before the tipping point. And I think the, definitely trying to jump on to the momentum here. Let's go ahead and just jump into the churn here. I think you guys have a great slide, slide 14 here. If you guys are following along with us, let's look at the customer churn here being lower than the peers. I mean, I, we could point out a company here, but let's focus here on Kin. Uh, how are you guys able to uh, achieve this customer churn, Sean? Sean, you froze for a second. Sorry, I mean, yeah, I was frozen for a second there. I think I'm back. Um, back. Part, of is, is <laughs> <laughs> uh, part of it is homeowners is a sticky. Part of it is homeowners is a sticky product to begin with, so that's the difference between us and Lemonade. For example, Lemonade is really a renters company, and renters are just they're more transient. They move around more, uh, and and so they have a higher churn rate generally. And then the other part is that we don't have an agent. And that's the big difference between us and Hippo is that Hippo is also doing home, but they're doing it through the agent. And then the third thing is just we we have satisfied customers and they tend to stick around. Definitely. So one of the things that is pointed out on slide 20, I think it was important just because it's part of our core values here at Benzinga to create raving fans. And I think it's awesome that you guys state this in your investor presentation, how your customers just rave about you guys. I think this is very important because at the end of the day, you know, you guys are talking about brand awareness here. And I think there's no better brand awareness in the insurance business than word of mouth. So where do you see this continuing moving, Sean? And then Matt, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Yeah, the word of mouth is really important. We hear these stories every day, uh, you know, where people are like, oh, so how do you hear of Ken? Oh, I heard from my mom. <laughs> or like my realtor suggested it. And um you know, it's, it's a really great channel for us. It's actually about 20% of our customers come to us that way, either through a referral or organic. I also think part of it is a reflection of they're providing a needed service in places where a lot of customers have been abandoned. I mean, you know how stressful it is to find out, you know, one, you're, you were covered and now your insurance company has pulled up stakes because of climate change or two, you just can't get a policy, even though you have an offer out on a house. Like I've heard from people in Florida, it can take days, weeks to try to find somebody. And it's not as easy as just going online, as Sean said, even though it seems so odd that you could shop for any other kind of service by simply entering in, finding out if you're eligible and insurance is different. You're putting your information in, but what it's doing is going to a lead generator who then is going ahead and selling that to an underlying insurance company. So part, of, I think the those incredible reviews are a reflection of providing a necessary service in a way that's delightful and kind of surprising because it's not the way it's done. One of the things that I love when I found out, I'm going to ask everybody right now, we could chime in if you want, but what do you think the average age of a Kin customer is? But since we don't have time to let you answer, I'll just answer for you. You probably are thinking 35, 37. It's 57 years old. And so I find that really remarkable. What it says to me is product market fit. Right. If they've been able to figure out how to sell a virtual product to any type of customer, not just early adopters. And part of the reason is it's not just a, a, DT, a, tech, a technology driven DTC. It's a hybrid. So you're reaching customers via technology. But if a customer doesn't feel comfortable going through the entire onboarding process, 
right away, Ken is there to, you know, pick up the phone. And I think Sean can get into this, but, you know, 15% of customers will go all the way through without talking to somebody, but people like to talk to people. People, it's not, a, you don't want to eliminate, in my opinion, humans from the interaction. I get so F pissed off when I can't talk to somebody and I'm trying to buy something online. So Ken is not trying to disintermediate people. They're trying to disintermediate friction, unnecessary friction from the process. And I think it shows up in the reviews. Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing is with insurances, we've we've usually been stuck with just the, the ones that we see on TV, you know, the ones that we always know. But one thing that I've seen, and, and I live in an area now in Colorado Springs that has a lot of flooding, um, where you'll run into where you can't even get those insurance companies. And, and so well, I, I definitely think that's definitely playing a factor. I would love to hear Sean explain a little bit more on the technology behind the risk selection. Because I think this is very important in how you guys are going to play out in the long run. So how, how does how does your engine kind of your AI system here work to determine who really is to focus on? Yeah, this is a really important point. So traditional insurance process, you're using a very small number of fields. So typically like 40 fields for homeowners. And it's all self-reported data from the user or the agent. So with us, because it's all... Um, you know, automated, we have thousands of fields and they're from known objective sources and often redundant sources. So we'll have multiple ways to understand, you know, what is the pitch of the roof of this house, for example. And so you'll know because not all the data is perfect. So you're sort of, you know, this is and this is what our what our model is doing is we're triangulating between which of these sources do we trust when, where, and how do we weight them against each other? So our actuaries have a big advantage because they have more data, so we can actually have pricing actuarial factors that our competitors don't have. We're also feeding the actuarial factors we have with data that's known to be really good and unbiased. And that, that really helps because it can be garbage in, garbage out. You can have the best actuarial factor, but if you're feeding it with inaccurate data, it's gonna give you an inaccurate price. And then the third one is, um, you know, we actually have other ways, uh, so we can actually, our chief insurance officer, Angel, always says this. It's not just about the price, but it's also about the specific coverages. And so with a legacy insurance company, the actually insurance agent is choosing which of the coverages, which of the endorsements go into this policy. And what we're doing is we're calculating on the fly and we're actually constructing a bespoke insurance policy for each home. And sometimes, sometimes you do want different coverages. You know, one example might be maybe your roof is a little bit older and so you don't want to insure it for the full amount. So what we're going to do then is say, hey, your roof is older, but we're going to offer you this other thing, which covers your roof for a little bit less when there's hail, but you probably need a new roof anyway. And so that's just an example where we're making these calculations on the fly. And it's not something that the, the software that runs these legacy insurance companies is very good at doing because, of course, it's all pretty like antiquated software. Definitely something to definitely keep in mind. I, I think you, you answered it well there, guys. Pay attention to this because I think it's something that in the future you'll see even the other companies start maybe adjusting their strategies on how they're really approaching this. All right, let's go. Let's get into uh, I think, you know, when we talk SPACs, especially in this environment and how we've gone in we really start focusing on valuation now because like I always say, these are long-term companies and I always get the question of what's the next Amazon? What's the next Amazon? But I, I think like always, Amazon start early, right? And so we have to focus on the valuation. Let's take a look here. I have slide 33. I'm going to pull up here. Let's focus in. And I mean, 
you guys can see the multiples here. I, I'm I'm really interested in how uh, a, a company like Lemonade is up there towards 54 times the gross profit there. And then we're looking back down towards 15x. How, how are the differences here and how are you guys able to achieve a, a, a lower multiple here? Yeah, so we think we should have traded a higher multiple because our unit economics are better. So I would say of all of these companies, and some of them are better known than us, but we actually think we're ahead because what really matters in the world is figuring out an equa a profitable unit economics formula and then scaling it out systematically. Um, but having said that, we didn't really want to stretch on valuation because I'm not selling any of my shares. And I'll actually tell you, I sold my last company to a company that had probably too high of a valuation. And it was very distracting to be there because the stock was up, the stock was down, people's stock options were underwater. It was just like really distracting. And so we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, choosing the valuation in a sane way and that we would, you know, be well positioned to have the stock go up over time because I think it'll make it a lot more fun to work again, if that's true. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I love the way that you approached that answer there. And one of the things that I like to say is, I mean, you know, everyone would want their company to be valued as high as it can be. But like you said, it can create other stresses and other stresses that come to, I would say, a lot of the times the retail investor that's trying to believe in the story and, and really start investing. And like always, you know, we probably don't have the biggest pockets to be taking the up and down moves that happen in the stock market. But like, I, I appreciate the, uh, the approach that you take there and knowing that, Hey, we're, we're working to just focus on our business here and focus on the margins. Uh, Matt, I'm sure this was a, a big uh, reason why you were looking into this company. H how did you approach here in the valuation? And of course, I mean, you've been seeing probably the talk about the SPAC environment and how maybe some companies have gotten valuations that they shouldn't. Uh, how did you approach this here? Yeah, I think as Sean just said, it was one of the things that struck me was the attitude amongst not just him, but the entire management team, the, uh, the awareness that we've built something special. It was really hard to do. We have kept our head down doing it uh, for the last you know, five years, focused on what matters most, which is the customer and a great product. And we need a little support uh, on awareness and branding, and we'd love a great partner. But we know we've got something special here, and we have every intention to build to build it out and execute it. Like that's the right kind of attitude you want to see in a founder team, which is they're coming along for the journey. There are reasons to go public, which we just went into. Some of them also, it's a great branding event as well as to you know put your company you know on a map. But Sean and the team from day one had the right attitude. You see how we ended up, you know, in valuation again. They rolled, you know, all their equity uh, into the deal. So frankly, it wasn't a big, it wasn't full of friction that negotiation. The work that went into is the diligence, the tremendous amount of diligence that we did uh, as part of this deal. As Sean can tell you, it wasn't probably you know the most pleasant experience him and the team have gone through. But you know we did our work and bringing in new advisors, everything we needed to do to go ahead and diligence the deal. Uh, and back to my point about backing operators, I am doing what I would do naturally 
in any other context. You know, when I just acquired Magnolia Bakery, you know, several months back, the kind of work that I'm going to do, it's what comes organically. And because it's a subject that I know about, which is direct to consumer businesses, I generally know where to look. And I also know that I know what I don't know. And when I need help, when I need support, I bring in new advisors uh, to do the work. But back to the big picture, I do think it was uh, priced very attractive. As I said before, it does not factor in the potential growth opportunities beyond state expansion, right? Just wanted to make sure it factored in uh, what we know that we're focused on right now. And then down the road, when it makes sense, we could introduce you know new products. But I would encourage anyone listening right now, like I always do, just read that deck, go through the entire thing and read the, read the bios of the people involved who are now working to help make Ken even more of a success. Definitely, definitely. I always say, I mean, if you don't do your research, I mean, how do you expect to understand a company, right? And I think it's always not always just only do the investor presentation on this, but also do some research on insurance and, and home insurance overall and in the industry. And I think you'll get a better understanding of why there's competitive advantages here. Yeah, awesome, guys. So we do have a couple of questions from the chat real quick before we let you go. Um, up first, we've got Carl saying insurance companies have had a hard time and are pulling out of Florida. How will Ken benefit from this and how can they sustain? Is that true, Sean, that you're seeing competitors pull out and are you able to you know, take advantage of that? Yes, that is 100% true. And so this, this is what we were talking about earlier with respect to insurance companies have a hard time reacting to change. And so when you see the weather change in some of these places, uh, they, they kind of, they get freaked out they say, Whoa, wait a second. We're a big company. We're, we're not trying to grow that fast. Let's just not be there. Right. We'll go somewhere else where it's not changing as fast. Now, the problem is some of our biggest States are the places where this weather is, is changing the most. You think about Florida, California with the fires, Texas with all the hail and they've hurricanes in Texas too. Carolinas. These are like some of the most important parts of our economy, right? These are actually States that are growing really fast. And so as these companies pull out, we come in, we say, okay, not all risk is bad risk. Now you have to quantify the risk right, and you have to price it right, and you have to have the right coverages, and you have a really, really good claims uh, system that allows you to, to respond when you get a lot of claims all at once. So that means doing it electronically, not with people. And so we really see this as a huge opportunity. People, it's not practical. We, we're not gonna abandon Florida, that's silly. So we need insurance there because you can't buy a home without insurance. And so, so that's what we do. And, and our customers really love it because they don't have as many choices. And insurance, this is the other thing. As entrepreneurs, what really gets us excited is providing a product people really need. So we, we, now we have a big office in Florida now, uh, but, but we're, we're a Chicago-based company. And we, we didn't expect to be doing this in these catastrophe areas, but you're doing the thing as an entrepreneur where you're just starting out and you're talking to the users. You're saying, hey, why'd you choose us? Like, what do you care about? And, and you notice immediately people in Illinois, they don't care that much about insurance. Now, they still want it to be good, but they're not thinking about it every day the way that people who live in Louisiana or you know North Carolina or California are. And so that just got us excited. Like, okay, let's go where people care about what we're doing. Now the benefit, the, the other bonus is all the stuff we do on the data side and with the digitization, it actually gives us a bigger advantage in those places. But yeah, this is, it's a huge part of the opportunity. And you know what, what's happening right now in Florida, that's going to happen in other places too, because the weather's getting worse everywhere and, and we have to adapt to it as a society or we're in big trouble. 
Awesome. And yeah, you know, as Matt mentioned, we've got one of our loyal viewers, Crew Cut Chuck, in the chat. And that was one of his questions was talking about the weather models and how is that integrated in calculations. Sean, I think you did a good job of, of answering that. So Crew Cut Chuck, hopefully you got your question answered out there. Um, guys, we could chat all day, but unfortunately it looks like we're out of time. But I will say we, we do have our CEO, Jason Rasnick, in the chat, and it looks like he's a fan of this SPAC merger and also of Kin Insurance. So shout out to Jason in the chat. Um, you know, big shout out to both of you for joining us. So again, guys, uh, Matt Higgins, chairman and CEO of Omnichannel Acquisition Corp, and Sean Harper, the co-founder and CEO of Kin Insurance, companies announced a SPAC merger to bring Kin Insurance public. That ticker is OCA. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Sean, for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on SPACs Attack today. Thanks as always, guys. Always fun. Can't wait to be back again. And uh, Sean, great to see your face. Thanks, guys. Nice to see you, man. Thank you, guys. We'll see you again. All right. Take care. I love that addition. You know, Matt had to mess with him a little bit. <laughs> you <laughs> Gotta know, it, love it. Gotta love it. It's great to have Matt back on. You know, he's he's been a guest several times on this show. He has fun. Guys, you heard him call out the chat a couple times with those great questions. And as I mentioned, we had Jason in the chat sharing his insight as well. Mitch, we're out of time. We might have to do a summary uh, of this interview tomorrow, but this one's exciting. Uh, you know, again, a, a company built to be a direct-to-consumer business. And I just think that's so important in the insurance market. Well, guess what? Guess what, Chris? I, I don't mind. I'm going extra time. If I get yelled at overtime, later, if I get yelled at later, I'll take the heat. I'll take the heat. It's not a big deal. I want to go into one last thing that we didn't really talk about because I didn't want to take too much information into the interview about it. But don't forget the team that's behind this and can really, really give some expertise, some ideas behind of how we can really expand this company. I mean, I know we could talk about Matt. We can talk about Matt, but look at this board. This board is filled with people that not have only have innovated, but have really understood their industry. And what I think about that is that it's all about learning, right? Once you start learning and, and being able to master one industry, you can definitely learn the strengths to go ahead and implement into another. I think you got a big vast board here that doesn't only go into one area i mean if you look at them some of them have some smaller brands that they've really taken to the next level some of them have made their themselves as we you know we, we can we can call out gary and i i think that this is just the beginning and with these founders and behind with this board, I think, you know, you're definitely going to see some innovative ideas come out on how to get that brand awareness out there. And I mean, it, it I mean, these guys, brand awareness, you're talking Pepsi, <laughs> Vayner Media, uh, I mean, Adidas, we can't get better than this guys, at least yeah, from the board wise. And, and um, this is what always stood out to Chris and I, I mean, it, it, it's not even a matter of, of just, we always talk about boards. These are one of those boards that you, you just read and the names just keep going. And, and Mitch, I'll note, Gary V, part of the, the SPAC team, he also invested additional money of his own 
into this deal. That's how much he believed in, in Kin Insurance and the omni-channel you know, opportunity here. So not only is he part of the investment through OCA, he invested his own money separate from the SPAC into this merger. So I think that's important, a high conviction trade from Gary V. Mitch, one of the surprising things to me was that average age of their customer. I mean, what did Matt say? 57? Can, can you imagine once they start doing more brand awareness and, and getting word out? I, I mean, right now that they're getting these, these older customers, once they can attack with some social media, some celebrity, you know, some brand awareness, they, they can go after a whole new age demographic. I, I think that's huge for, for them. Definitely. We'll be watching this company as it keeps moving on and advancing. Definitely, guys, if you guys want to learn more or check out some information, check out the description. We've got a lot of information there that you guys can click on and learn more about uh, Kin or OCA. I mean, coming into it, I can't wait till we get this switch over. Um, definitely, that's going to be the ticker, too. I put it in the description, Kin. So I'm looking forward to seeing that change over. And like always, guys, smash that like. You guys, we do this for you guys out there because, I mean, if it was for Chris and I, we would just do this interview in the back, give a call to Matt and be like, hey, tell us about the company. But we wanted to bring it to you guys, our viewers out there. Appreciate you guys smashing the like. Let's get it up there over that 100 mark and, and really continue growing as we do here on the Spax Attack family. Like always, hit the like, hit the subscribe. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com.